we are very excited for Alyssa Reed to preach today. This is our dear friend Alyssa, and she and Jacob are, and their kiddos are members here at Neighborhood Church. And I'm very excited for you to preach on the first day of Advent. So you're going to find out right now what a great preacher she is. She is a very sought-after preacher. I know her um, through InterVarsity, through campus work. I met her when she was a student long, long time ago. <laughs> we won't say how long. No. <laughs> but she has been on staff with InterVarsity for 11 years now. She's moving up in leadership. And I'm going to tell you a few things that you might not know about her. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. So... Did you know that she has a civil engineering degree? Boom. She has a civil engineering degree. She's smarty pants. That's right. Yeah. Hey, there we go. All the engineers in the house. Yes. Um, she is a fantastic chef. Everyone's going to want to come over and have you cook food for them. Uh, she is a very, very lovely mom. And she also has a very huge dog that they named after C.S. Lewis, Clive, and a cute little puppy named Margo. <laughs> and um, what are some other fun things I could say? But bottom line is, if you want to really get to know her, ask her some of her favorite stories of people coming to faith. She has great stories of the you know, people who you're like, whoa, you're ready to come to Jesus right now. Okay. Or people who it's a much longer road. And so if you want to really get to know Alyssa's heart, you can ask her that. And I'm going to pray for Alyssa before she preaches. Lord, thank you so much for this whole community. And thank you that Alyssa is a part of it. Thank you that um, we get to soften our hearts to receive your word. And we pray that your word comes powerfully through Alyssa. And um, yeah, Jesus, we pray that all of our hearts will be really soft soil for how you want to shape us as a whole community. And uh, we pray that Alyssa feels very centered on you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. amen. There we go. Thank you, Amy. Welcome to Advent. I'm very excited. Advent is one of my favorite times of year. It's really remarkable. And amidst the chaos of sick kids and school productions and gift shopping for that impossible person, um, there's an ability to pause and reflect on the coming of Christ. It has been such a gift to sit in the wonder of Christmas with our daughter, Elena. She's almost three years old. And so like most of us parents, we're trying to help her like really understand like this season's about Jesus and we're gonna talk about baby Jesus all Christmas long. And like most three-year-olds and honestly, most of us adults, it can often get diminished or lost in the chaos of the season. And so I really believe that this is why, one of the reasons why we need church and why we need tradition. So the tradition of Advent is one that I didn't grow up in in the church calendar, and I love that our church sits in the calendar of the Christmas tradition of Advent. So I'm just gonna let us pause and take a collective breath. You've made it to December. Breathe in, breathe out. That's not gonna be the only time that you are gonna pause and breathe. So throughout the season, we will focus on aspects of hope, peace, joy, and love. 
And this week we'll be sitting with hope and the Annunciation of Mary or the announcement of Mary as told in the Gospel of Luke. So we've heard it spoken over us by A. Bailey as uh, Jenna was a fantastic Mary. Thank you for that. Um, And um, a fun fact that I learned in preparation for this is that in the Catholic tradition, they actually call Mary the mother of holy hope. And I was like, that is such a fitting title for today. Amen. This is so good. And so as I was sitting in this passage, I spent a decent amount of time nerding out about Nazareth, about Mary, about what Jewish people nowadays view as like the the messianic promise and traditions, and everything in between. And what I want to say about that is that we're not just here to intellectually absorb like fun new facts about scripture. That is fantastic. We need context to understand what is happening, but it is not the only reason we are here. We are here because we believe scripture is alive and transformative, that there are things today that we need to hear out of the story of Mary and the announcement. And so whether or not you have heard this scripture many times or you you are hearing it for the first time today, I pray that there is something that the Lord reveals to all of us. And we believe that God reveals more of himself and his kingdom when we sit in scripture and that we need to be here. And so may we leave this morning different than we entered in. And I pray with hopeful expectation that God is gonna speak to you regardless of whether or not they're the words that I say, but I pray that he reveals something to you. So I'm gonna pray and then we'll dive in. Father, Son, and Spirit, uh, we come to you in, in hopeful anticipation of what you want to do this morning. In the words of Luke and in the story of Mary and the ways that your hope is still for us today and the ways that we still need hope today, we welcome your presence. We thank you that this whole morning has been a preparation for your presence, has been a welcoming of your presence, and we pray that our hearts too would welcome your presence. And so we bless you and we raise up your holy name. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So I'm going to read the passage for us again. I'm hoping that this helps us just kind of like sit in and marinate in what Luke is saying. This is Luke 1, 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren for nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. This is the word of God. 
Now, at the beginning of this interaction, Gabriel offers a greeting. This greeting that he offers Mary is one of unreal and seemingly inappropriate proportions. The greeting that he offers is to a young girl named Mary from a forgettable town with little to no social status until this moment. This is a time of pretty high power distance, meaning that certain people were afforded certain titles and were greeted differently than others who may have been disregarded or treated differently. We may have friends like Liz. I was just so happy that Liz was introducing me because she's one of those friends that will introduce you and you're like, oh yeah, I do do that. That's great. I forgot about that part about myself. Um, she makes you feel really good about yourself. And uh, this is something that we got to share over her at her birthday party over the summer. And this is not like one of those situations. This is like a king or a president or a celebrity. Liz is a celebrity in a lot of ways in Chico, but this is like a celebrity celebrity who not only honors you, but points you out in a crowd, comes over to you, and speaks favor over your life. It would have been incredulous. It would have been unbelievable to receive. So it's no surprise that Mary's like very perplexed by his words and wondering what is going on right now. And this greeting isn't just one that seems more honoring than, than what would be normal for the time. It actually is a greeting full of God's favor and presence. Gabriel tells her, you have found favor with God. And then before she can even respond, he, Gabriel continues by telling her that she is about to conceive a child and that this child will be the son of the Most High and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. We need to pause here because what we know about Mary is so different from the Mary I grew up with, right? We're picturing this like, older mom who's like very pale and she might be holding like a baby Jesus and there's a lot of reverence for her and I grew up thinking like okay it's a mom no big deal but Mary is a teenage girl she is maybe between the ages of 13 and 16 years old how many 13 to 16 year olds oh they're not in the house anymore they're they're okay how many of you have a 13 to 16 year old child okay This is what Mary is. And of course, it's a different time when people got married a lot younger and all that. But still, it is a pretty shocking thing that she is a teenage girl. And she is betrothed to a man named Joseph who's from the Davidic line. Some speculate that actually she may have been more of an artisanal nomad, dyeing fabric with henna or participating in embroidery of fabric and and being a part of her local community. She would have shared a one-bedroom house with her entire family. There was no privacy, okay? So she would have shared this with her family until her wedding day, which may have been up to a year after her betrothal to Joseph. So... She is from a town called Nazareth. Nazareth is the one in red near the top. It's in in an area called Galilee, but it's not just like in Galilee. It's on like the outskirts of Galilee. It's not like the hopping town in Galilee. The blue one down at the bottom is Jerusalem, the religious center of the Jewish community. And when you think about Nazareth, as I was nerding out about it, it is a town of blue-collar folk who are doing their trade, and they live in, a, in, a, in an area of Galilee with an unpolished dialect who seem to be a bit irreligious and morally laxed, okay? It is a small town. Some people speculate 1,600 to 2,000 people, while others are saying it's probably smaller than 500 people, 
Some of you went to high schools that are bigger than the city of Nazareth, okay? And they are all doing their trade work. Most people in Nazareth, they speculate, actually did their, their trades in the nearby city of Sephoris. And Sephoris had been burnt down, and so they're all being sent to this great cosmopolitan area of Sephoris to help rebuild it. Now, does this remind you of any way that we view our county or cities around us? When I thought about this, I was like, oh, Nazareth is Oroville. Nazareth is this city that people come from. And if you, are any of you from Oroville, Paradise, Megalia, any of like our small, great towns around us? I'm going to go out on a limb and say that you may have had an interaction that went something like this. <clears throat> oh, you're from Oroville. Oh, that's interesting. Or, oh, you're from, you're from Paradise. I bet you were glad to leave and come to like the big city. Um, there are ways that we look down on the cities in our county and the ancient Jewish tradition was no different. They looked down on Nazareth. It's this unpolished, not like the center of academia or our religious center at all. And so they looked down on Nazareth. And yet, this is where God chooses to interact with and call the mother of our Lord. Something astounding that I find about this, um, as I think about Mary's title of the mother of real holy hope, is that I don't think Mary's even hoping that this will happen to her. I don't think she's like, I'm from this tiny town and I'm going to carry the Lord in my womb as a virgin. None of this is on Mary's radar. God is like bursting forth with this miraculous thing as she's living her small town girl life, as she is getting ready for the next phase of it in marriage. In fact, I would argue that there are so many reasons why this would have brought more chaos and conflict than initially blessing right? What would her family say? What would her fiance Joseph say? How would everyone treat her when she begins to physically show her pregnancy? We know as like the church today that Jesus is roughly 30 years old when he starts his ministry. So for 31 years, if you give space for the pregnancy and delivery and everything like that, nobody yet believes that this is something that God has done. And even then, his hometown is not one of a warm welcome for Jesus as he does his ministry. But we're not there yet. We are just sitting with Mary in this chaos, conflict-bearing moment. So I don't think this, this miracle would have been on Mary's radar. Not really. God is doing something outside of Mary's wildest dreams when he sends the Messiah to be birthed through her. And up until the 11th hour, I was just sitting with this because I thought, God is doing something beyond any expectation for Mary's life when he sends Gabriel that night. And I'm going to pause here and just give a word because I believe there are people here today who have not known what it's like to have very many hopes. There's definitely people here who have hopes and dreams as soon as you were, you were walking. You know, I had parents that were like, you could be anything when you grow up and stuff like that. But there are definitely people here who, are, who have felt limited in hope, afraid to hope, and afraid to believe that God could do anything beyond their current realities. I'm not sure that Mary is necessarily afraid to hope in her life. Maybe she just feels comfortable or complacent in her season. But maybe she is afraid to hope for anything more. And I want to speak right now to those that have felt shut down in their hope. Because this is something that I felt very strongly in as we waited for our pregnancy with Elena. 
Hope is, hope is never foolish. That's something I say all the time. It's what I love. But one of the like more painful, tender things that I felt like the Lord spoke to me in that season was that hope is really painful. Hope is really vulnerable. Hope is something that exposes us to the possibility of something beyond what we can imagine right now. And it, could, it, could, it feels like it could let us down. It feels like it is so volatile, so precious, so fragile. And yet... In the midst of unknown circumstances, in the midst of painful moments, hope is also the only thing that can heal our hearts. Hope is the thing that draws us back to the heart of God and says, I want to align with your kingdom. I want to align with what is real and what is possible because you are a good and faithful God. And so I just want to pray over you. If you feel like someone that has felt like, I don't even know how to hope right now. I have felt shut down in my hope. I've had too many hopes become disappointments. I have felt like the circumstances in my life made it so that I just needed to hope to live another day. If that is you right now, I just want to pray a blessing and a, like speak against the spiritual warfare around that because hope is one of God's most like powerful weapons. And I'm just going to pray over us and pause right here. Jesus, you are a God of hope. Your holy hope strengthens us. It fortifies us. It joins us with your kingdom. It tells that there is something beyond what we can even expect or imagine. And so Jesus, we cast out the lies that say that it is not, it is not smart to hope or that it is not our right to hope or that we disqualify ourselves from hoping. And we say no in the name of Jesus to those lies. And we say yes and amen to the new hope you want to birth in our community today. Speak hope over us all in all the places that we need it. And the places where it's felt like, I'm not even going to pray for that anymore. Like God's just going to do what he's going to do. No, may we be bound by hope. So break through this morning in your hope and reorient us to the ways that your holy hope is a strengthening hope. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So if Mary's pedigree, if her qualifications don't line up with what we expect, what is it that qualifies Mary? I would say it is her heart. Mary is likely one who carries a deep love and a deep devotion to God and one that seeks to honor him. And we can see this partially in her response to the angel Gabriel. So here are two other moments where an angel came to someone and said, you're about to have a child. In Luke 1.18, Zachariah has just been told his, his wife of old age, Elizabeth, is going to have a child. And he says, how can I know that this will happen? For I'm an old man and my wife is getting on in years. It's a very nice way of saying that. Um, earlier on in the Old Testament, this is one that would have like reminded us of this as the early listeners. In Genesis 18.12, it says, so Sarah, Abraham's wife, laughed silently to herself and said, how could a worn out woman like me enjoy such pleasure, especially when my master or my husband is also so old? So we have two pregnancy announcements that are met with like just disbelief. Like there's no way, like prove it to me. I am just going to laugh until you do that. And then we have a teenage girl who, instead of denying God, chooses to ask some follow-up questions. That feels normal. Ask, ask some follow-up questions of how the Lord will make it a reality. Because Mary knows that a holy hope is not based on our circumstances, but on the posture of our heart. These two people, Zachariah and Sarah, 
should have been able to respond in faith due to their righteousness. These people would have been like what the culture would have said, these people are going to carry the Messiah and the messianic promise. And they participate fully because obviously that lineage of Abraham starts everything and Elizabeth and Zechariah end up having John the Baptist as their son. So they are participating in the narrative. But they're the people that everyone would have expected to birth the Messiah. And so these two people that should have responded in faith respond with doubt and unbelief. But this teenager hears what should be impossible and responds to it. Her response is, how can this be? Her heart posture is one of hope, curiosity, and full of certainty in a good and infinite God. Hope in an infinite God allows us to ask how God will do something rather than asking if God can do something. And so she sits with that and she, she even beyond that, the response Gabriel gives is one of even further mystery. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. Now, this language, though very mysterious, is supposed to remind Mary and us as the audience of Genesis 1. And it's the language of the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters. And here is a side-by-side -side of these two verses that we can see them. So in Genesis 1-2, it says, Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. In Luke 1.35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So what's beautiful about this is that Gabriel hearkens back to a time when God indeed made something, in fact, everything that is good out of nothing. He looked at the empty and formless world and he made everything good we can see. So of course, Mary, of course God can take your empty womb, which has had no life, and make something new and wonderful within it. And it won't be in the ways we expect life to be created. He's going to do it in a completely new way. And this, this is enough for Mary when Gabriel confirms that God is already doing an impossible thing in her relative Elizabeth, Mary's response is one I hope for us all. She says, here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Mary isn't sure what to do with Joseph. She's not sure what her family is going to do or her community. This is an age and moment in time where women were stoned to death for having pregnancies out of sight of marriage. In fact, people think that after this, when she flees to Elizabeth, it's so that she can kind of like hide under the, under the shelter of another person's home so that, that doesn't happen to her. But she is resolute and she declares her obedience and partnership. Now this points me back, and I think it was intended for us to think of the garden in Genesis 1.26. Still feel a little maybe disjointed, but trust me. So God says, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground, right? This is the original like command that he gives to the first humans. God always intended for us to have full creative partnership with him. 
He is a creative God that desires for us to be creative with him. In fact, there's a fantastic book called Playing God by Andy Crouch. If you want to read more about it, it's great. So when he made us in his image, it was with the desire and hope that we would go on creating and imagining a world where more and more life would flourish. And so here, Mary does just that. She chooses in her creative free will to partner with a good and perfect and infinite creative God to make something so that more and more and more and more life would flourish. And she does it with a costliness. When I think about the staff that we've been bringing on, when I think about the students that we're discipling, I think about the costliness of following Jesus. And here Mary is choosing to follow God's command or invitation so that we can even experience Jesus. Every person's cost of discipleship and submission to the will of God is different. Here in the United States, our cost to follow Jesus is dramatically different from other parts of the world. Coming from a Christian home, my cost of discipleship is dramatically different from those who have been called to follow Jesus from a non-Christian home. My invitation to come on staff from a Christian home and from churches that support me is drastically different from calling staff who have had no Christian community up until their college experience. So our obedience to a new life calling may have a different cost from our neighbor. But God sees that and he still calls us. He still says this calling I'm giving you is worth it. This calling I'm giving you, if you are willing, will bring more and more life if you accept it. So our willingness to say, let it be with me according to your word, is going to be different than the person next to us. It's not our job to compare to the people next to us. Our job is to say yes to, to God in our call. So this is the story of Mary, a teenage girl from an ordinary family in the wrong town at a time when the entire Jewish community is waiting for a savior. Liz brought up that it's been 400 years since the last prophecy written in Malachi up until these moments. 400 years of silence and God breaks through in the story of Mary. God chooses this girl with a heart full of expectancy and hope, a posture full of creative partnership, and a willingness to be used by God without pausing to discount herself or say no because the cost is too great. To bring forth the salvation we all desperately need. So in this Advent season, I want us to walk in a holy hope like Mary. Maybe this means hoping for something that seems impossible, especially after years of not being able to hope. Maybe this means a hopeful anticipation that God is going to do something in a completely new way and you want to be open to that. This holy hope we walk in points towards the glory and presence of God and allows us like Mary to say, God, how are you going to move this time? Advent has two different phases. So the original Advent is one that says the coming of Christ, and we want to sit in that anticipation. But also a lot of the church views Advent as the coming of the second, you know, the second coming of Christ. And so as I was thinking about that, and one of my favorite verses that I'm going to throw in here right now um, is out of Colossians 1, uh, and we just finished our series in Colossians, so I thought it was really fitting, is that Christ is in us the hope of glory. 
That is such a rich phrase. I don't think we're ever going to come to the fullness of that understanding. Christ in you, the hope of glory. There is an anticipation and an expectancy and this wonder that God's glory, his presence, his communion is going to come near. And that Christ in us, the hope of glory, is not just for us. It is for the unbelievers. It says in Colossians, the Gentiles, right? These unbelieving communities that need to know that God wants to break through with his presence. So we carry Christ in us, the hope of glory, not just for us, but for the sake of the communities we belong to. One of the other things that I think reorients us in this story is this truth that God is at work in places that seem small and forgotten. He is at work in the places that are unexpected and discounted. God brings the fulfillment of his plans and his good work in unlikely places. Maybe you feel like an unlikely place or a disqualified person. And maybe there are ways we, we discount the possibility of God at work in the lives of others. Do we discount the possibility of God at work in the lives of unhoused people? Or in that city? Or in that country? Or on that university or college campus? Or in the life of that Gen Z or millennial? Like, are we discounting the possibility that God could be at work in any of those places? Because the reorienting truth is that God is already at work. God already wants to be partnering with us as we see with with expectancy and hope that he is on the move. So I want to invite us to have expectant hope that God is moving in our midst and disrupting the status quo to bring his kingdom. I'm going to do something a little bit different as we close, and I'm going to leave us with a poem. This is written by Ted Loder, who writes a bunch of different poems. If you've read any Ruth Haley Barton, she loves him. So Ted Loder writes this poem for Advent. And um, as I read this, uh, I'll invite the prayer team to come up, and then I'll pray, and we will walk in hope, man. So uh, this is from the poem, I Am Silent and Expectant. How silently, how silently, the wondrous gift is given. I would be silent now, Lord, and expectant, that I may receive the gift I need, so I may become the gift others need. Jesus, as we lift our eyes in hopeful anticipation of your coming, we believe that you have already come once, And that you lived a life full of hope and purpose and healing so that we would know God is near. You chose to be Emmanuel, God with us, so that we could experience the fullness of your kingdom and so that you could say the kingdom is at hand. Choose into it. Choose life. Choose hope. Choose the things the world says are weak or impossible. Because I am at work. So God, we pray over every single place that feels hopeless, every single person that feels hopeless here in the house and on the stream and everywhere that's going to be listened. And we say, God, may your hope come. 
May we hear testimonies because of the hope that we have and the ways that it, it propelled us through a new season. And one thing I want to declare as someone who had seasons where it felt really, really easy to hope and really, really hard to hope, that your hope would supernaturally fill. That it wouldn't be this thing we have to like fake it till we make it or that we would have to muster it up, but like you, God, would fill us with hope. You, God, in your abundance, that you live within us and you say, I am within you and there's hope for glory, hope for presence, hope for breakthrough in this season. So Jesus, if there's anyone here today that needs to receive your hope, I pray that they would come down and get prayer. I pray that they would seek your face and that this would be a moment of transformation that changes us from being someone who shows up occasionally to church on a Sunday to people who are hungry for you and your kingdom. Your hope creates a hunger in us for your kingdom to come to earth. And so may we join in that posture. May we join in that plan. May we join in that partnership to say, let it be with me according to your word. Jesus, fill us up and send us out. We thank you. And we pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come get prayer. Thank you for joining us at live stream. Come back next week. We are going to continue in Advent. Have a great Sunday.